night we've all been waiting for. It's all about discipline tonight. <laughs> Tips, <laughs> strategies, and tools. So if you remember, we talked the second week about the fact that tips, strategies, and tools are unique from family to family. So we're going to share with you, in addition to some big picture things, we're going to share with you a lot of things that worked in our family, a lot of things that have worked in a lot of other families. <laughs> but remember that because these are tips, strategies, and tools, they'll differ from family to family. All right. We're first going to look at Proverbs 26, 12. And this is just a reminder of something that we touched on. I think it was either last week or the week before. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man slash woman slash kid who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So I just wanted to launch with that because we're going to be again circling back around to foolishness and childishness and we want to remember that when we see that attitude in one of our kids of being wise in their own eyes the root of that is actually foolishness that's what scripture says so we want to deal with that accordingly proverbs 29:15 the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. I'd like us to note that in this verse, it says the rod and reproof. Those are two different things. So the rod is the actual physical chastisement. It's the actual punishment that takes place. The reproof is the verbal instruction that takes place. So those two always need to go together. We cannot have one without the other. The rod and reproof. The spanking spoon and the heart to heart. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Put it in modern vernacular. Same chapter, verse 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Love that verse. And then verse 19. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. This is a really interesting verse. Because as we've talked about in the past few weeks, especially with permissive parents, they tend to want to talk things through with their children because it's avoidance parenting, right? They're avoiding the conflict that comes with the, I have to discipline you. Whether it's hard for them as the parent, I don't want to go through the work to bring the discipline or the emotional difficulty, or it's hard for the kid because they know the kid's going to have an emotionally difficult time. So I love the fact that Proverbs just kind of goes right to the heart and says, it's not mere words that are going to actually change the heart of your child. Because even though they understand, it says, they won't necessarily respond. So we have to remember that it's the rod and the reproof when we're talking about foolishness. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. Also, I just want to mention that when it comes to discipline, a a really great parenting principle to remember is that you can't parent from a place of explosiveness, of being critical of being sarcastic Mm -hmm. and in like manner, you can't discipline from those positions ever. That's ineffective. Yeah. So I, I think as we're moving into talking about how to bring effective heart transformative discipline, we have to first check our own hearts, right? That's what we've been talking about for the past three weeks, basically check our own hearts before we go in to deal with our kids. So if we're angry, Do not go into that room. 
give your child time, give yourself time, and then go in when your heart posture is one of, I am doing this because I love you because this will be a benefit to you. This will bring that peaceable fruit of righteousness that Hebrews 12 talks about. Somebody mentioned this is the chastisement. This is hard for me, right? Can't do this. That's like the famous, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. But you've got to find a way to get back to this breaks my heart. To get out, especially with the olders, with the youngers, it's more like a comedy thing. You're trying to get away from the laughter of it and actually be serious about it, right? Because it's just usually so funny what they're doing. As they get older, there's genuine anger. There's there's pent up frustration, etc. And right now in this moment, I feel like I could rip your head off. So you need a timeout. Do not discipline from that place. You know that you're able to discipline when you've recovered that sense of Mm -hmm. this breaks my heart. Mm. Having to discipline you breaks my heart. Yeah. So that's the first thing, anger. Secondly, Chris mentioned sarcasm. We want to, again, remember our tone. We talked last week about how a tone is so indicative when you're looking for a response from your child. It's not enough that they would respond, yes, mom, yes, dad in response to your instruction that you have to listen to the tone of their voice that they're responding with. Your tone is just as important. So if you are sarcastic, if you are harsh, if you are critical in your tone, that will actually render your discipline largely ineffective because what it will end up doing is wounding your child rather than helping their heart to transform. So again, if these are things that in the moment, and we all deal with it, right? Different kids push different buttons. Every one of our kids pushes different buttons in us and different timing, different scenarios. It doesn't matter. You know, our buttons can get pushed all the time. And so what we have to learn to do as parents is to pull back from that place, understand, okay, there does need to be action here, but I'm not in the place to give it yet. And then wait until we're in a place of a heart posture of the father's heart. Remember, the father doesn't discipline us from anger, right? We learn in scripture that it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So we have to emulate and and demonstrate to our kids what the father's heart looks like, especially in discipline. Okay, so moving on in discipline, first of all, I want to break discipline into two categories. There's natural consequences and structured consequences. So I want you to think about that for a minute as we start to talk about this. In life, we encounter natural consequences all the time. So do our kids. So it's very important to understand in the discipline process Was there a natural consequence for their misbehavior that on its own is enough? That's a question that you can ask yourself in each event. Uh, Little Johnny is putting himself first and running to get ahead of another kid and kind of pushes the other kid and in the process trips, falls down, scrapes his knee. Mm -hmm. Would he get a spanking for that? Well, evaluate for a second. He got a natural consequence for his selfish me first attitude. In that case, that's probably enough. So he still needs reproof. He still needs correction. 
But in terms of discipline, that natural consequence is probably enough. Uh, older kids, I told you not to fly your drone out over the ocean. <laughs> right? So there, there are going to be things that they experience as kids where, oh my gosh, you know, you leave the bunny door open and the next morning the bunnies are gone. Right? So as parents think through this when it happens and you have to evaluate, you actually have to evaluate, okay, look, there, there was a natural consequence, but there also needs to be some sort of structured consequence because lying or hitting or being rude is a big deal, especially doing that with a sibling or a friend or somebody in the home. So if the consequence is, ouch, you pulled the barrette out of my hair because and, and, I stole your barrette and you pulled it out of my hair. No, that's not a natural consequence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I stole the barrette, you pulled out of my hair and that hurt. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. So in each case, evaluate, is the natural consequence enough? Mm-hmm. Does there need to be structured consequence in addition? And I would say that the cases where the natural consequence is enough are going to typically be more in the older's not with the middles or the youngers, especially not with the youngers. So somebody like Zach's age, the natural consequence is a bummer, but he will probably also need a structured consequence with somebody who is maybe Taylor's age or older. Like let's say for instance, a 16 year old, they're speeding down the freeway, they get pulled over, they get a ticket, they've got to pay for the ticket, they lose their privilege of having the insurance because the insurance just got skyrocketed up. There's all kinds of natural consequences that are going to happen. The chances are in that case that they won't need additional consequences for speeding down the freeway. That will be enough. However, piggybacking on what Chris said, we have to, as wise parents, always look at the heart of our child and, and understand, is that natural consequence enough to affect the heart of our child in order to bring them to repentance or is it just regret? Mm -hmm. We always have to be looking for that. And kids are a master at faking it, right? They're really good. You know, it looks repentant, but actually what it is is regret. So that's the only thing we have to be careful of with natural consequences. That natural consequence will often cause regret, but not repentance. So we will many times have to then add in a structured consequence to go along with it that's appropriate. And this doesn't mean that the olders, that you abandon structured consequences. Mm -hmm. What you have to get at is, are they feeling the weight Mm -hmm. of their choice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as far as structured consequences go, we really want to talk tonight about what that looks like. But before we do, I, I want to kind of give a heads up. When you bring correction to your child, if learning does not take place, if true learning does not happen, then correction did not happen. I want you to think about that, okay? Perfect example for this is toddler comes in, mom says, don't touch the candle, it's hot, right? Toddler goes ahead and reaches for the candle. Dad gives a spanking on the hand. <laughs> toddler cries, right? Five minutes later, toddler comes back in, reaches for the candle. Did true learning happen? Yeah. Did true learning happen? No, it did not. <clears throat> now, 
let's take a step back to when dad administered the spank on the hand. Maybe that consequence was not weighty enough to reach the heart of the child for them to understand this is not acceptable because this will cause me severe pain. Now, part of that is probably the stubbornness of the child, the personality of the child, all the different factors going into that. However, we have to remember that our goal is to train the heart of our child. So that's why the consequence that we bring is so important. Are kids going to make the same mistakes over and over? Yes. But hopefully in the process, they will learn and become wiser as they do until they get to the point that they themselves are able to acknowledge, I should not do that. I will self-govern, right? We're in that parenting funnel. Our goal is that they are self-governing. It might take two, three times to get there, but they're self-governed enough to say, I will choose not to walk in that behavior or in that speech or in whatever it may be because I know how it impacts others and myself. So remember that we're looking for the consequence that will actually bring true learning into their lives. Okay. And that means sometimes it, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pretty. And as we discussed a couple weeks ago, it's going to be tough for us as parents. It's going to be tough for us as parents, because remember, if we discipline our child and they continue in the same pattern of behavior, what we are actually creating for ourselves is a threatening, repeating parent. We do not want to be characterized that way. We want our child to learn. And remember, the father does not do that with us, right? The father is perfect. He knows exactly what kind of consequence or circumstance he should allow into our lives to where we actually go, oh, I don't want to do that again. Lord, forgive me. I don't want to walk in that again. And so we want to tap into the father's heart as much as we possibly can, which is one reason why when we are in the discipline process with our kids, we want to be in communication with the Holy Spirit. Father, what will most impact my child's heart for learning, true learning, true repentance in this situation? Because he knows their heart. So we need to be in that place of asking all the time with the father. Discipline flow chart? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make it really practical here. Okay. When we're talking about everyday situations, you want to first evaluate, as we discussed last week, is this childishness or is this foolishness? That evaluation is critical because your next steps will depend on that evaluation. How do we evaluate, first of all, if it's childishness or foolishness? One of the first things we talked about last week was, was there instruction given? Now, I don't mean was there instruction given five minutes ago. I mean, was there instruction given? It could have been given last week. And this goes back to how seriously our children are taking our instruction. So again, we don't want to create a child that says something like, and how many times have we heard this? I didn't hear you. Oh, really? You looked in my eyes. You said, yes, mom. You repeated my instructions back to me. You didn't hear me. I don't think so. That's not going to cut it, right? So if instruction was given, your child needs to have that in their hearts and be acting on that. Now, that doesn't mean we never remind our kids. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But that's the first question you have to ask. Was there prior instruction given? If instruction was not given, then you can put the action into the camp of childishness. Okay? 
if this is childishness, the next thing you have to look at or ask yourself is, what is the frequency of the offense? Has this ever happened before? So it's, remember, we're in the camp of childishness. Maybe uh, the toy has gotten left outside before and mom and dad forgot to say something about it. The next night the toy gets left outside again and maybe it's an electronic toy and it's going to get ruined if it's left outside. And so this is the second time that the child has left it outside. That means that you're going to approach this differently with your child than if it had been the first time. Okay. First time looks like this. I pull Johnny aside, I sit Johnny down, I make sure Johnny's looking into my eyes so there's eye to eye connection and you're going to walk them through, okay, you understand, mama needs you to understand or I'm, I need to have a conversation with you about what will happen if you continue in this, okay? This is not a repeated thing, let's say this is the first time, if it's not a repeated thing, what will happen if you continue in this? If it's something that is a second or third time and maybe mom hasn't brought it up for some reason, maybe it's just, just gotten overlooked, then maybe at that point it is appropriate to bring a structured consequence of, I haven't brought this up, I know we haven't discussed it, but I've noticed that you've left your toy outside several days in a row. I'm going to set the toy up on the shelf for a day and let's talk about what will happen if you are not stewarding your things wisely. Let's just have a talk about that. And tomorrow I'm going to give the toy back to you and you get to have a chance to practice wise stewardship with this toy. Okay. So again, that's not really a painful consequence. It's just a little bit of a discomfort to help them understand. Yeah, I wasn't really thinking about this. You know, I'm a kid. I'm doing something that's childish. So mom is starting to bring or dad is starting to bring correction to the heart and input into the heart. So that would be the second thing is frequency of offense. Is there a heart issue that's connected to this? Okay, so again, even if this is childishness, we need to be looking for a potential heart issue connected to this. So yes, it was acting out of immaturity, but is there an area where I need to bring instruction which will help prevent it from moving into the foolishness category? So this is key because if we do not instruct the root and the motive of the heart, let's go back to my, my previous example of stewardship, okay? If I do not take the time to explain what wise stewardship looks like and instruct my child in maybe a little bit more patience or more carefulness, more intentionality, then what could be today's childishness next week could end up being foolishness and having to have difficult consequences. Interestingly enough, a lot of times that is our responsibility because we don't take the time to catch it when it's still childishness, teach into the moment before it gets rooted in such a way that it actually becomes rebellion and foolishness. Next thing you have to ask, age appropriateness. Something that is childish for a three-year-old will rarely be childishness for an eight-year-old. I want you to think about what that looks like. Something that may even be childish for an 11-year-old will almost never be childishness for a 13-year-old. Yeah. 
So you have to consider the age of the child, which plays into the maturity of the child. Also the fact that they are living in the family. So the last ones, the littlest ones, no matter if they're a little one or a middle or whatever, they osmosis. get everything by osmosis. So everything that mom and dad is saying, instructing to the olders, they're getting it all just by listening, just by being in the household, just by watching. So you have to remember that fact when you bring instruction or discipline because they will oftentimes as the youngest try to play it off like they didn't know. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> And they do know because they live in your household. Now, you might not have given the instruction specifically to them, but because they're around it all the time, they already know. And so that's something you're going to have to take into account. Don't let their cuteness fool you because they do know more than we think they know. Okay, let's talk about warnings because this also plays into childishness versus foolishness. When is something a warning? versus a repeated threat. A warning serves a purpose, but there's also a timing that it actually is a warning versus the timing when it's crossed the line into, I'm just repeating myself, therefore I'm threatening. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the best time for a warning is before the child crosses the bridge of trouble. Now, we use that phrase because most of us who are intentional parents, we are involved enough, not all the time, but a lot of the time, to be able to see down the pike what is coming for our child, okay? We can see, oh, my child is about to make this choice. They're about to choose to hit their sibling. They're about to choose to tell a lie. They're about to choose to do something really unkind or have unkind words come out of their mouth. We know them well enough that a lot of the time we can see when it's coming, right? In that moment before the action, not after the action. After the action, it becomes a repeated threat. Before the action happens, we pull the child aside. And we say to them, I can see that you're facing this situation or there's this circumstance going on. I want to encourage you to think about choosing wisdom. I want to encourage you to choose wisely. What that does is it encourages the child. And that's a great time for a word of identity into their life. You have all the tools you need to choose wisdom. You are an incredible brother. You are an incredible friend. Whatever it is, whatever words of life you feel the Holy Spirit giving you in that moment, that's the perfect opportunity to release them. And it's a perfect opportunity to set them up for success. So in that moment, what you're basically doing is giving them an emotional and mental timeout. This is the best kind of timeout. We don't really believe that timeouts do much at all. This is an effective timeout because you're giving them time before their choice to think about the choice they want to make. Mm -hmm. Then before they have the opportunity to cross that bridge of trouble, they get to decide, I'm either going to go ahead and cross the bridge over to the other side, fully into the land of trouble, which then becomes foolishness, or I'm going to pull back and choose wisdom in this moment. So that is the time for you to give a warning. 
Also, we talked about pre-activity warnings in the car on the way to an event. I want to encourage you. Remember last time it didn't go so well. This <laughs> is a time for you to think about the choice you want to make. You have an opportunity to choose to be a blessing. You have an opportunity to choose to serve. What a great chance for you right here in front of you to be able to walk in these things. That is what, what I would consider a, more of an exhortative warning, right? An encouraging warning. If you don't choose these things, there's probably going to be consequences, but you have the opportunity to really be a blessing here. A lot of parents confuse warnings with grace. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Many times we want to be gracious to our kids, and so we just end up giving them repeated warnings mm -hmm. about things. Mm -hmm. And that's not what grace looks like. Mm -hmm. It takes intentionality. Mm -hmm. So you cannot use a grace paintbrush. Mm -hmm. And many parents use a grace roller brush. Mm -hmm. And that does not work. Mm -hmm. Again, we, I think we mentioned the other day that's that results in sloppy agape, mm -hmm. cheap grace. It's this, it's this discounted grace mm -hmm. that causes them to never actually have context for the beauty of grace, the expense of grace. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly expensive, mm -hmm. and if they don't have a context for that, because we're always saying you know what, I just love you so much, and so uh, this is, I, I, next time, mm -hmm. next time, you're going to get a consequence. Mm -hmm. so there's zero appreciation for grace mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember um, and to teach our children this, you know, that grace looks like someone had to take the hit. Mm. Someone had to take the hit. Mm. For us, there was a legitimate mm. issue, our sin, separating us from God, someone took the hit. It was Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so our kids have to understand both the fact that there is a legitimate issue, there is a sin issue going on, and that somehow, somewhere, someone is choosing to take the hit for them. What I would say is grace is most impactful in moments when your children are most repentant. Mm -hmm. So if you see that your child has a repentant heart posture, and again, not regret, yeah. not regret. I wish that hadn't happened because now I can't ride my bike. It has a flat tire. Okay, that's regret, right? But true sorrow over the consequence of their sin, that is when grace is most impactful, just like it is in our own lives. So again, wisdom parenting looks for those moments to demonstrate grace to our children in the most powerful way that it can be demonstrated. We look for windows. It's like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity to bring the most powerful example of grace. There should be a gnarly consequence here. I'm going to take the hit or somebody else is going to take the hit and they're going to get to walk free and that should overwhelm them. Mm -hmm. It should cause them to feel humbled. It should cause them to feel undeserving, which is a good place to be. Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. Do you feel and have you seen that this has been most impactful when there has been a consistent flow of discipline and consequences? Absolutely. It's necessary. Yeah. yeah. It's necessary. Yeah. And the reason is because our kids are rebellious. <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. Naturally rebellious. Mm -hmm. So most of the time we're talking about a heart issue of rebellion. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with mm -hmm. in most circumstances. Mm -hmm. And there has to be 
consistency in consequences, Mm -hmm. structured consequences that fit, that hurt, that are weighty, Mm -hmm. so that rebelliousness, just like the Word of God says, comes out by that rod and by reproof. It can't stay lodged in the heart. It's wrapped in the heart. So, yes, it takes a lot of discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what the ratio is, but you're definitely going to be exercising discipline Mm -hmm. and structured consequences most of the time. Mm -hmm. Especially, again, within that funnel as they're young. So as they're younger, it's going to be creating a grid of this is the structure of the home. This is the structure of how we work so that they then understand as they hit those middle years and older years, oh, wow, dad just brought me grace. Mom just brought me grace. That's overwhelming to me. That humbles me. And that will be fully understood as they become mature enough to understand it. And especially in the, like with the older ones, I mean, you guys have all got older ones now, preteen, teens, you have to really look for those moments. Remember, we talked about the open window of the heart. Mm-hmm. Really look for those open windows of the heart in order to have those heart-to-heart connections of this is what grace looks like so that they feel the beauty of grace, the goodness of grace, and are humbled by it. When it's done right... Discipline brings an open window way better than sloppy grace. Yeah. Yeah. You will not get open windows with sloppy grace. Yeah. Okay, so back to our discipline flowchart. So we were talking about the childishness category, right? You've determined my child's action is childishness. What are the consequences that you bring for childishness? Loss of privilege is a really powerful one for childishness. It obviously has to be something that impacts their heart. It usually is best if it's connected to the event. So again, if it has to do with stewardship or property, if it has to do with health and safety issues, maybe loss of privilege is typically a really good consequence to bring with childishness. Could you give it a quick example? Mm Mm-hmm. Johnny hasn't been told, let's say, not to leave the bike out. Johnny comes home, dumps the bike in the backyard, it rains, the bike gets rusted. Either losing the privilege of riding the bike for a few days in order to help him understand better stewardship or helping dad to fix up the bike. Work is always a great consequence for childishness. It's also a great consequence to add in for foolishness. In general. Yeah, hard work. Okay, so that would be on the childishness side. So loss of privilege, work, those type of things are really good. Again, you're wanting to look for something that's going to impact the heart of your child, help them to understand the lesson that they need to learn so that that doesn't move into the foolishness camp. Okay? Childishness is typically not our biggest problem. So I think we can all recognize that that's not generally the thing that we struggle with the most as parents. So now let's talk about foolishness. So you've determined that the action is not childishness. It is foolishness. How do we address it? One of the first things you want to look at is frequency of the offense. Is this the first time that Johnny has hit his sister or is this the 21st time that Johnny has hit his sister? If it's the first time, he's probably going to be two years old. If it's the 21st time, it is not going to get the same type of consequence. Why is that? 
because number one, there has been instruction given. There should have been instruction given. Number two, there's been prior consequence given, which means that the child has hardened their heart instead of softening their heart. Remember that if there is something that's happening frequently with your child, it means that true learning hasn't taken place, right? As we already discussed, which means that their heart has probably been hardening. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why they're hardening their heart instead of softening their heart. One of the reasons could be the consequence is not actually dealing with their heart. It's either mismatched or it's not weighty enough. Yeah. Again, if it's the 21st time that Johnny has hit his sister, you're going to deal with that appropriately with a weightier consequence. So one of the things you're going to look at is because it's foolishness and because Proverbs has a lot to say about foolishness, you're typically with the youngers to middles going to opt for spankings. You just are. Now, not always. And again, if it's the first time you've ever dealt with this, you're probably not going to give a spanking because you want to train into the issue and give some other kind of consequence. If it's the 21st time, yes, you are definitely going to bring that type of consequence. We used to call it chastisement because that's the word the Bible uses. Our kids always knew it's chastisement, but whatever you want to call it in your home. With the olders, there is going to be that threshold that you cross where you're not going to spank a 13-year-old kid. It's just not appropriate, especially for a father to spank a 13-year-old daughter. Okay? And it's ineffective. And it becomes ineffective, right? So at that age, when you hit that transition time, as they're going into preteen teen spanking is not going to be as effective. So you're going to want to look at what's going to impact the heart the most. Yeah, pay attention to make sure that it's a match. Mm-hmm. Like I said, if you have, let's say you have a teenager that is behaving in a certain way when they are at youth group and this is something that you've talked about and what you're doing is saying oh you did that again okay i'm gonna have to take social media away from you again well is taking social media weighty for them maybe but maybe they don't connect it at all to the offense to the offense Mm -hmm. and so this just sucks over here this is a bummer Mm -hmm. i hate it but it's not affecting my actions or attitudes over here. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some sort of connection Mm -hmm. to where Mm -hmm. there's a direct relationship Mm -hmm. between how I'm behaving Mm -hmm. and my consequence. Remember that the Lord's goal in discipline for us is to lead us to repentance. How does he do that? How does he lead us to repentance? Yes, through his kindness, but he humbles us. He humbles us. Remember, he tells the Israelites that he took them through the wilderness to humble them and to test them so that he might do them good in the end. That's exactly what he says. Our goal is to allow the Holy Spirit partnered with us to bring a humility to our child's heart. This is especially important with the olders. If their heart is hardening, that means that true change has not taken place. True repentance is not there. So we have to ask the Lord, what is going to affect my child's heart to actually humble them? This is not shaming them. That's a very different thing. We do not want to shame our children. The Lord does not shame us. He does humble us. So we want to be thinking, Father, what is it that will bring that place of humility? I want to give an example. 
one of our children went through a very challenging time, challenging season in their lives. And we ended up finding a lot of stuff out that behaviors and choices that had been going on that were hidden unbeknownst to us. And as we prayed about what we were going to do about this, because it was multifaceted and it was deeply rooted and there was a hard heart a very hard heart. When we brought this stuff to our child, we brought it out. We said, all these things have been brought to our attention. They've been exposed. The response was just shut down hard. It's a 15 year old. Yeah. And so we began to pray and ask the Lord, what do we do? How do we handle this? We don't know how to handle this. But because of the nature of some of the offenses, one of the things that we did was you've lost the privilege of having your own room. You're actually going to have to share a room with your three-year-old sibling. That was very humbling. Now, obviously, this kid did not like that at all, and the initial response was this, you know. But as the weeks went on and as we continued to talk and pour in and bring that reproof and exhortation in gentleness, but also in firmness, we saw the heart begin to shift. Note, though, that there were many other consequences that were in addition to that because, because it was very multifaceted, very multilayered, and there had been a lot of deception and hiddenness going on. So that one was connected to the things that had been going on in the room behind a closed door that we were like, well, obviously there's not trust here. You're not trustworthy to have that kind of privilege. So we're going to remove that privilege from your life. Very humbling for that child. Mm. So, and by the way, the end of that story is some years later, this is an adult who now trains his children <laughs> the same way. You guys mm -hmm. probably all figured out by mm -hmm. now. Who it is. <laughs> yeah. So, we want it to be connected to the offense and we want it to humble their heart. That might mean it's for a much longer duration than what we've previously done. It might mean it's much more intense than what we've previously done. We want to get to the heart. And going back to what you said, Jason, about it's hard to come up with some of these mm -hmm. ideas. Mm -hmm. Get the offender involved. Mm -hmm. In that process, mm -hmm. a lot of times we would ask our child yeah. and mm -hmm. say, I want you to think about this and you think through what your consequences might be. Mm -hmm. We were shocked many times mm -hmm. at the weight mm -hmm. of the things they would come up with mm -hmm. where it's like, well, I hadn't thought of that, but okay. Let's <laughs> <laughs> Mostly with our teens, when uh -huh. they got to be teens and uh -huh. had the ability to think that through, right. and when they were feeling the weight of their sin, and we would ask them, what do you think? How, how do you need to clean up your mess? Mm -hmm. Then they would typically come up with some pretty good ideas, and we would let them then walk that through. One last note in regards to foolishness. I think we've covered this pretty well. We can take questions in a minute, but... I want to just read Ephesians 6, 24, talking again about helping our kids to obey. Fathers, do not exasperate or provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Why would this be addressed to fathers specifically? Because they're, the, they're leading. Right. True head of the house. But think about that word exasperate. What does that bring to mind? What happens to the heart when you exasperate a child? Hardens. Mm -hmm. 
hardened or hopelessness, mm -hmm. rebellion, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about stereotypical behaviors, but stereotypically it's the father who might be in that role of pushing, 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 pushing until that child is exasperated. Mm -hmm. Not always. Yeah. Sometimes it's the mom. Right. And I, I think for the sake of being practical, we'll kind of throw mom in there because I'm going to give some, some practical tools that can help avoid exasperation. First practical tool that will help avoid exasperation in your child's heart, a five-minute heads up. By that I mean... Susie is reading a book. You walk into Susie's room and say, Susie, just want to let you know we're going to be leaving the house in five minutes. You might want to start thinking about putting on your shoes, getting ready to go. Instead of, Let's we're leaving go. now. Out of so the house. That's, that's exasperating mm -hmm. for a child, right? Who's enthralled in a book and not ready Perfect to example. Johnny's playing a video game. Totally into it, right? Totally into the world. Mom walks in and says, okay, we got to go right now. Right? <laughs> Instead, five minute heads up. We're going to be leaving the house in five minutes. You need to think through, again, putting the responsibility in their laps, thinking about the funnel, making them wise to self-govern. Think through what you need to do right now to manage your five minutes. Put you, the management of their time into their hands. We do this with adults. Mm -hmm. It's like a it's like five minute warning for dinner, yeah. right? So just help each other get into the headspace of what's coming next. Yeah. So practical tool to help avoid exasperation. Number one. Number two. Interrupt rule. Love this rule. It's one of my favorites. Interrupt rule does not work until you have mastered first time obedience. Yes, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's most effective when you have first time obedience as a standard in your home. What is the interrupt rule? The interrupt rule is when you are engaged with somebody else and that child comes and immediately inserts him or herself into that engagement. And so a lot of times that can be frustrating for both parties. Exasperating for both. Right? So what do you do about that? The interrupt rule is here to help. The interrupt rule is <laughs> if Johnny has something that Johnny perceives to be incredibly urgent. Because <laughs> remember, everything's in perspective. So Johnny comes up to mom and dad who are having a important discussion and Johnny quietly puts his hand on dad's side or mom's side. That means I know you're busy. I have something important when you have time. When that happens, Mom or dad should acknowledge Johnny, thank you, I'll be with you in a moment, and come to a place where they can stop and then turn and address Johnny. This worked beautifully for our teenagers. Really beautifully. Don't just think of the three-year-olds. This works great for teens. <laughs> because teens always feel like everything they have to say is important in the moment. It's just but, basic respect. Uh -huh. But even yeah. if they haven't learned it as littles. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? For sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not going to look the same for right. teens as right. it does, but <laughs> but we still use this. Yeah, Tiffany and I still use this with each other. Exactly. That's what we do. Touching me. And if right. not towards each other, we get like, we get like five foot. <laughs> so that's a child that struggles with threatening, repeating. <laughs> <laughs> And again, this is, this is pointing to the heart. Mm -hmm. 
motive. If, if the child truly understands this and has learned it mm-hmm. and is embracing it correctly, then there's patience. Right. It's a great tool for teaching patience. Right. It's there's kindness with it. it mm-hmm. They're not like it doesn't. It's not an excuse for Johnny to continue behaving the way he does, but he just has to follow the protocol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is addressing the heart. It's addressing that issue that we've all brought up over and over again of otherly mindedness, right? Mm-hmm. It's a great tool for otherly mindedness. That kid is coming into a situation where people are already engaged. His tendency or her tendency is going to be to think what I have to say, what's going on in my life is the most important thing. That's me first, right? That's selfishness. This trains them to put others before themselves. Mm-hmm. Great tool for that. Mm-hmm. Um, bribes versus goal incentives. Bribes versus goal incentives. Super fun. Goal incentives <laughs> are supposed to be related to skills and accomplishments, not moral behavior. Mm-hmm. Goal incentives are not part of your parenting process in training the heart of your child. Mm-hmm. They're related to achievements, mm-hmm. accomplishments, mm-hmm. skills. If you use goal incentives regarding heart issues, it's not a goal incentive. It's a bribe. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> The temptation, especially as they get older, is to basically use goal incentives for moral behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. look, I'll give you 20 bucks at the end of the night if you can just be quiet <laughs> the entire time that we're at Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so's house. That's a bribe. <laughs> we're bribe back. <laughs> so it may work. Yeah. It may work. But it's fleeting. It's fleeting. <laughs> well, the reason we say this is because... Is pretty steep. Yeah, it's pretty steep. <laughs> it's a wealthy dad. Yeah. Um, I'll look up the reference for you guys and text it to you. But there's a proverb that specifically says that a bribe corrupts mm. the heart. Mm. It corrupts the heart. So it actually has the opposite effect than the one that we want it to have. It causes the heart to, I think of like corrosion on a battery. It just begins to eat away. Because think of it this way. Remember, we're talking about having our kids naturally pursue righteousness out of a love love of virtue. Mm -hmm. That completely short circuits it. There's no love of virtue there. Mm -hmm. There's greed, love of money, selfishness, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm But goal incentives are a different matter. So we can use goal incentives to help motivate our kids in regards to skills, accomplishments. Who's really great at this naturally? Grandparents (laughs) are often very good. Hey, I'll pay you a buck if you swim across that pool. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Grandparents just naturally are good at this. Grandparents usually have more expendable cash. So let grandparents Bring them in. <laughs> be part of this process of goal incentives. Um, it, it is great though if there's some like if there's a particular skill that your child is working on, find something that they are wanting to maybe purchase or accomplish. Like maybe let's say your child wants horseback riding lessons, okay? 
And so you are wanting to encourage them at a certain skill, like maybe getting A's in a particular class. Yeah. Working at what working better at their homework or learning a particular piano piece. That's very difficult for them or something like that. Motivate them with that goal incentive of when you are able to play this flawlessly, then we can talk about how many horseback riding lessons would be equal to that work that you put in into learning that piece. I remember that Jaron was learning how to swim and he had to hold his breath and swim all the way across the pool mm-hmm. and he was it was not happening. Yeah. And he was he had fear issues and other things. He was I think he was five or whatever and the goal incentive fixed it. The goal incentive was buzz light year. Yeah, he, got a buzz he wanted a Buzz Lightyear, and so man, he held his breath and swam across that pool and got it down. <laughs> the day that we gave him the goal incentive, a Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, yeah. So those are Is that more youngers or both? No, both. Older too. Age appropriate. Again, look for the attitude of the heart. So if it is a a heart issue of I don't want to do this, yeah. then it's not a goal incentive. A then it becomes a bribe. Right. Let's take like maybe uh, learning multiplication tables. Mm-hmm. It's hard for that kid. They're really having a difficult time. I'm going to motivate them to push a little harder, work a little harder, and actually master it by the goal incentive. Not a, I don't want to do this. I don't want to spend time on this. I hate this. That kind of thing. That's an attitude of the heart. Completely different route. That's why generally speaking, you've got to stick to skills and natural accomplishments Mm -hmm. because you're going to want to do this across the board. Mm -hmm. You can't say to one kid, uh, if you swim across the pool, I give you a dollar and the other kid, no, you don't get anything because you're dealing with rebellion. That's why you're not swimming across the pool. Mm-hmm. You're going to be equitable with this, yeah. with the kids. If you say that to one kid, you've got to offer into the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last thing I want to touch on, and we really don't have time to open this up completely because I want to leave room for questions and we're already out of time. Repentance, restoration, forgiveness. Super important concepts to integrate into your home, especially in the discipline process. So we've been talking about childishness versus foolishness. We've been talking about appropriate consequences that go with them. The repentance and restoration and forgiveness process is just as important as the discipline that you bring. So remember that our goal with discipline is to see a repentant heart in our child. Once we get to that point, though, we can't stop there. We have to take them through the rest of the process, which is forgiveness and restoration. So we need to make sure that there is a verbalized, will you please forgive me, mom or dad? That needs to just become part of the lingo of your family. They need to see that model between the two of you when there's difficulty and conflict. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry keeps all the power in the hand of the offender. Will you forgive me puts the power into the hand of the one who's been offended. And that's what we want to do. This is critical for husband-wife relationships too. Yeah. We put this into practice and it changed everything for us. It's so easy to go, I'm sorry, and keep on moving on. But will you please forgive me and then specifically name the sin? Will you please forgive me for my pride? Will you please forgive me for my anger? Would you please forgive me for whatever fill in the blank? And then there needs to be the response. Yes, I forgive you. And that is the time to lavish your kid with love. Yeah. 
lavish them with love, lavish them with words of life, lavish them that they know how dear they are to you, how cherished they are to you. So, you know, you, you do have to follow through. You've got to walk through the tough stuff, but on the back end, give them every opportunity to be fully restored to your heart because they want to have that takeaway. No Mm -hmm. doubt about it. I am treasured. I am cherished. Mom and dad have done this because it is for my good, because they love me, not because they're angry, upset, frustrated, embarrassed, or whatever. So that closes the discipline process, right? And it heals the child's heart and it heals the relationship and allows trust to begin to be built again. Without that, there is still an open wound that doesn't get closed. So we need to make sure we do that. Then the last part is restoration. Make sure that if there is a mess to be cleaned up, your child follows through and cleans it up, whether it's relationally or practically. Don't let time get in the way of this. Sometimes with our olders, there are things that happen and there are layers of offenses and there are people involved and cleaning up that mess is a lengthy process or a difficult process, challenging, involving other people involving other people's schedules, etc., And it's easy to just let it go. And a couple of weeks later, you're like, did that ever happen? Ah, uh, yeah. you can't let that happen. You need to follow through and make sure. Look, it's impossible for that child to fully heal until the consequences are paid. They may think they're getting away, but they're carrying it in their heart sometimes for years, decades of, I should have been penalized for this Mm -hmm. and it never happened i should have made it right it affects their conscience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so be careful in teaching this to your child that asking forgiveness is not something that we push and require instantaneously it has to come out of a genuine heart however on the flip side we don't want to let it go so long that it's three days later and Susie hit Johnny and it's forgotten about, you know, you want it to be fresh enough that it still has an impact, but you want it to come from a genuine place in the child's heart. You don't want to force them to ask for forgiveness. Conversely, you don't want to force them to have to forgive. So if it's a sibling conflict, they need to be in a posture where they are ready to forgive. Again, though, we don't want to give them the latitude of just, well, I don't feel like it. I don't want to forgive you. We need to bring that other child to the place actively of choosing to forgive, just importantly as we ask the person who offended to ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So it's a mutual back and forth thing. We want it to be timely, but we don't want it to be forced. Last thing I will say about this is, this is a great indicator as to whether or not there's actually repentance, is whether your child is willing to ask for forgiveness. Mm So oftentimes you will know, okay, their heart hasn't actually been dealt with if they're not willing to take responsibility for their sin by asking for forgiveness and making things right. And you as a parent need to be paying attention to the attitude of the heart. Yeah. True repentance always includes humility. Humility is the key. If you're not seeing that, then it's a show. Mm-hmm. It's protocol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you do? <laughs> Truly, like yeah. if you're not forcing it, right. but it's not happening. Right. So at this age, you're going to have a brief heart-to-heart, remind them of Scripture, mm-hmm. remind them of their call as believers before the Lord and following the Lord's example to us mm-hmm. of forgiving. Mm-hmm. 
and give them time in their room, not days. If it takes an hour in the room, spend some time in prayer, think through what's blocking you from being able to freely forgive, like the Word of God says, and call them up into biblical behavior. And if they do go through the motions and perform, Mm -hmm. but it's not true and you recognize Mm -hmm. that, what do you do with that? So that's where you're going to, in a time of non-conflict, want to bring in training, teaching, or maybe even a little bit of pain, some work, some, you know, we're going to do this together. Right, because you see what's going on in the heart. It'd be best to serve others serving, little pain of extra work. Maybe you're going to go to widow so-and-so's house down the road and we're going to do some yarn work together. And while you're doing that task together, you're then going to begin to talk about the issue in her heart. It's really great a lot of times to deal with this type of a child with their plans for Saturday are canceled. Mm -hmm. It means that yours are too, one of the parents, Mm -hmm. and we're going to go serve somebody. Mm -hmm. I would say serving somebody always has a huge effect. It gets the kid outside of themselves and focusing on somebody else, which then generally has a softening impact on the heart. If it's serving somebody that costs them something, Mm -hmm. you want it to cost them something, whether it's like Chris said, plans that they had or physical energy or, you know, whatever it's costing them, you want it to be costly enough that it then begins to open up. Yeah. A lot of times as a parent, you think it's enough that you canceled their plans. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, that doesn't result in any heart change. It just embitters them. They're just mm-hmm. like, this, mm-hmm. this is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I get well, it. And their friends start to hate you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, that you just have to deal with. <laughs> you just have to deal with that. Yeah. Well, there's a challenge in that too. I'm not, no, I'm talking moms. I'm talking kids. Well, I'm yeah. talking culture. For sure. Yeah. All the time. And, and we get it. But like, you know, then you deal with dynamics of kids and their relationships fitting in and challenges they may be having. Mm-hmm. And then you're killing all that, mm-hmm. which is what you got to do. But mm-hmm. then it's like, now it's having another, right. you know, effect. Right. I mean, just, everything's just so multifaceted yeah. with yeah. people and everything yeah. going on. You're just like, yeah. oh my, there's so many things to discipline mm-hmm. in the situation yeah. we're in that it's a full-time mm-hmm. job, which is overwhelming. It is. And it's exacerbating them. We're spun out. It's, you know, it's like, Honestly, the, the key that's going to bring breakthrough and hard attitudes at the age that they're at is serving others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was saying yeah. this is critical. It's not enough to just cancel their plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You fill it with something that is mm-hmm. completely about somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it means one of you as a parent price is going to pay that price too. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, yeah, this is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. It, it is, it's incredible intentionality. Mm-hmm. But you can't miss this window. This is yeah. where you have to pour into them these critical truths like hard work, serving others, sacrifice. sacrifice. Mm-hmm. These things have to be happening at this age. Mm-hmm. So I would say somewhere between 9 and 14, you've got a window where this has to be happening all the time. It must be totally counterculture mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. The culture is Disneyland every weekend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, you've got to get off that ride Mm -hmm. and it has to look, these types of things will happen less in your home. If you already are a family Mm -hmm. that spends time paying attention to marginalized people serving others. This goes back to the age old saying, idle hands are the devil's playground, right? Mm -hmm. This same idea. The idea is if our paradigm is we spend 50% of our free time 
serving others. We go down to Tijuana, we go to a, an orphanage, or we go to a soup kitchen, or we go to the widow down the street and mow her lawn, or whatever it is. If their paradigm is, this is what we do with half of our free time, that will impact their hearts in massive ways. Mm-hmm. And you'll see less of these types of things coming out of their hearts. Yeah. You just will. Yeah, because you're talking about the me first culture that we live in. And Chris and I felt this every single day when we had teens, especially. It's just you are terrible. swimming upstream. It is everything about the culture that we live in me first. is all me first, especially for teens. And so you what Chris is describing out. is how do we swim upstream? The only way we create in our kids a heart that is kingdom minded is to literally walk them through that process week after week after week. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. We do it week after week. It's not enough to talk about it. We have to do it as a family. And that is where it becomes woven into the fabric of who they are. And so it is hard. It absolutely is hard. And it's sacrificial to the point of the friends and the attitude when our 15-year-old that we had going through all those problems went through what he did and we created these layers of consequences. One of those things was we said to him, you've shown us that we cannot trust you in the choices that you make with one particular friend. And so you don't have the freedom to spend time with that friend because you are not trustworthy when you spend time with that friend. You don't have the capacity to be with this friend. The parent of that friend had a fit because our child was best friends with that person. And she saw that as we were punishing her child. Why are you punishing my child for your child's behavior? No, 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 no. No, we're not punishing your child. Our child doesn't have the moral capacity to be with your child right now. You won't like the end result of that. We need to get our child to a place where he has the ability to choose wisdom even when he's with your child. It was a very difficult thing. If you don't take action on these things and do the hard work and the difficult Mm -hmm. stuff and the unpopular things right now, you will regret it. Mm -hmm. You will regret it. This is intense and as they get older it only gets more intense and I'm telling you it looks radical Mm -hmm. in today's culture Mm -hmm. it looks radical 50 years ago it looked unusual Mm -hmm. 100 years ago it was not that big of a deal I wonder how much just changed since you guys raised your kids yeah it's even more intense well the change is that it's more narcissism than before that's what I'm using so it's an increased narcissism I mean we're finding Christian parents and it will test us are almost worse than yeah. secular yeah. parents yeah. and how they're raising their kids and yeah. the influences on our kids. You have to take a stand. It's costly. It's not popular. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win friends and influence your neighbors with mm-hmm. this. So we're moving to Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. It's been real. It's been fun. We're out. But so you know, you know what, what the funny thing is? My dad used to say, wherever I go, there I am. <laughs> If these things aren't dealt with because they're in the heart, they're going to follow you wherever you go. Yeah, for sure. But I would like to say, I think think there's a two-stage process. Number one, evaluate those friends that you see that are actually long-term friends. We see that we want this child to be in our child's life for the long term. Or maybe you have a lifelong friendship with the parents. So there's a value, there's a there's a rootedness to the relationship. And then number two, sit those parents down, take them out to coffee, take them out to dinner, share your heart. Mm. We are attempting to turn the ship. 
we are attempting to input some things into our child's heart and it's going to look messy and bumpy for a while. And unfortunately, it's going to have an impact mm-hmm. on so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And we're so sorry that it is. It has we nothing to do with help. this child. Yeah. Can we get you to be on board with us? We need to do this in community. We can't do this outside of community. We need to do it in community. Now, they may or may not say yes. Yeah. They may or may not understand, but at least they'll hear your heart yeah. and know that you want them to work with you and that this is not a distancing thing. That you're Whether your to. friend's child has 1% or 90% of the culpability, you take the fall. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I have right. a question. Yes. We have a child, our youngest, who every time he's disciplined, uh-huh. whether in, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. He immediately goes, I'm a bad listener and goes straight uh-huh. to negative self-talk, breaks down, and you go, is this for show? Is this, yeah. This is probably your most intelligent child. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so this child knows exactly what he's doing. And this is intentional. It's not like he lays in bed and thinks, here's how I'm going to handle my <laughs> But it does naturally come out, and it's a tactic, you guys. It's a tactic. Yeah. So what needs to happen in that moment is heart training on choice. Mm -hmm. This is not about you being good or bad. Mm -hmm. This is about a choice that you made. Mm -hmm. This is a Mm -hmm. choice that you made. Mm -hmm. I didn't make this choice. Mm -hmm. You made this choice. Mm -hmm. I didn't choose for you to disobey. Mm -hmm. I didn't choose for you to have spankings right now. Mm -hmm. You made a choice that you knew Mm -hmm. would result in spankings. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to have spankings right now. Mm -hmm. Not because you're a bad boy, Mm -hmm. a bad listener. It's because you chose poorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if he stays in that place of, mm-hmm. but I'm a bad mm-hmm. listener, I'm a bad boy, I'm mm-hmm. the worst, mm-hmm. still go back to that choice and follow through. Yeah, with you need to follow you, through. Yeah, he needs to be trained. Tell yeah. him that, listen to, listen to what daddy's saying. Mm-hmm. That's not what's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's not what's happening. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is about you making a poor choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are consequences for that choice. Mm-hmm. And here they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the more you do that, the more that you diffuse that. Because what, what that really is, is he's trying to gain attention to divert yeah. from the issue. Yeah. Right? He's wanting to divert your focus on the consequence to... Be sharp. Yeah. Sharp. <laughs> yeah. If you guys... Don't nip this in the bud. He's going to play you mm-hmm. and yeah. and parlay this into something that he does mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. ten times more crafty, crafty. Yeah. when he's older. Yeah. 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 In regards to shyness, yeah. Of, yeah. I mean, it's been this this really challenging balance between hearing her concern, validating, but also not allowing her to stay where she's at. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, just this past week, we've been trying to prepare her. We spent probably like 45 minutes just talking about it on, on two hours, hours a day, <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying to get her to journal it. And there's, there's a true sense of, she's petrified. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked about it from a practical side, but it, there's still this huge apprehensiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember when this began to manifest as far as the extreme anxiety? Yeah, it started in kindergarten. I mean, when we were over in Uganda, it was the first school. Then we went and put her in a second school, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. she came back. And it was, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, okay. it's been an It's been life. like a lifelong yeah. thing. And she yeah. genuinely, like, yeah, it, she's not putting on a face. Uh-huh. Um, right, right. 
not not that that necessarily changes the fact that we need to get her through it. Sure. But it's, yeah, it's, it's a genuine, really, yeah. huge obstacle yeah. for her. Yeah. Number one, my first encouragement would be when she's asleep at night, go lay hands on her and pray for her. Mm-hmm. Pray in the spirit. Mm-hmm do battle in the spirit. There's a spiritual component to anxiety that needs to be broken off of her before you can begin to see the breakthrough in the natural. Mm-hmm. So when our kids were dealing with strongholds, that was one of the things we would do is when they were asleep at night, we'd go into their room, lay hands on them and pray over them mm-hmm. in the spirit. Second, because of her age, I would really encourage you to help her find a couple of scriptures mm-hmm. that she can begin to meditate on and memorize. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is a brain specialist. She makes the process of renewing our minds from Romans 12 incredibly practical and breaks it down neurologically about how pathways are created in our brain and how we literally renew our mind by creating new pathways, what that looks like with the Holy Spirit, but also practically the steps we can take what that's going to look like is beginning to renew her mind, how she thinks about certain situations by replacing the old patterns of thinking with new. The first step of that is memorizing scripture so that when she's faced with those situations, she holds up her shield of faith and takes that sword of the spirit to demolish those previous strongholds that have been in her mind. That creates new pathways. Third thing I would encourage you to do is set her up for success in microwaves. Put her in situations that you know she'll feel anxious in, but that you have artificially controlled to where she'll be successful, whether that's at somebody else's home or something like that, so that you're actually building a repertoire of success for her so that you can pull on that again to help create new pathways in her brain and to rehearse over her the successes that she's accomplished. That will help her to begin to turn the ship, so to speak. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fantastic tips. I'm going to go back to prayer, which you mentioned, remembering that a stronghold like this is primarily a supernatural issue. Mm -hmm. It's a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. And so what we would do with strongholds is partner together for 30 days Mm -hmm. on our knees Mm -hmm. together, Mm -hmm. expecting God to give us strategy, supernatural breakthrough, Mm -hmm. etc. Tackling this issue head on. It's a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. You have to get on your knees together, Mm -hmm. husband and wife, Mm -hmm. and make a pact together. We're going to pray. So what this looked like in our home was, of course, in our individual prayer time, we'd be praying for that child. But we would agree to come together every day for 30 days to pray into this. Mm Are you guys fasting at the same yeah, time? Yeah, we, we, you can fast. Yeah. You can, yeah. I wouldn't fast for thirty days, right. but yes, fasting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but there was fasting going on, especially for breakthrough yes. like that of spiritual strongholds, for sure. You guys, this makes a difference. We've read lots so many books. books. I'm going to say probably a hundred books mm-hmm. with regard to parenting, mm-hmm. and yet when we look at some of the biggest parental challenges that we've faced. Mm-hmm they were not handled or addressed in any of those books. Mm-hmm. They were only handled and addressed on our knees. Mm-hmm. Understanding we can't do this. This is a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, are you still doing the practical stuff? Mm-hmm. Yes, you just gave a couple of practical things that mm-hmm. are fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
but you just have to count the cost and say, look, we've got to get our child out of this stronghold and moving on, and we're not going to settle for anything less. Mm-hmm. You guys, we, we had this happen so many times. We had this happen once where we agreed 30 days, pray together at the end of 30 days, nothing. And all the Lord was showing us was stuff in our own heart. I think I've shared this testimony with some of you guys, where this was the same child that we were talking about a minute ago, where at 15, went bonkers. And we got on our knees and prayed together, covenanted together to pray for 30 days. And what happened during that 30 days was only the Lord showing me sin in my own heart, the Lord showing her sin in her own heart. We'd compare notes. Oh my gosh, this sucks. And so at the end of 30 days, that's all we had. No change, no behavioral change, nothing. We said 30 more days. So we went another 30 days. During that entire 30 days, nothing happened except for the Lord highlighting things in our own hearts, repenting again, going before the Lord. It's just continual. 60 days, every day, praying together on our knees and praying individually on our own prayer time. At the end of 60 days, we compared notes. Anything? No. The very next day, all was revealed. Supernaturally. Five areas of hidden sin. All It's pretty revealed. crazy, actually. <laughs> Phone calls from people. Everything. Five unrelated hidden areas all revealed in one day supernaturally the cost was will we humble ourselves will we deal with our own stuff and the lord moved there's more to that there's some visions and dreams that happen along the way but it's the short story you have to be on your knees so just to confirm if you know it's a stronghold yeah and what you're dealing is with a stronghold yeah you're still going to be doing the practical yes right yes just to don't stop that don't stop the practical yeah she was talking about so this is a great <clears throat> idea about uh setting up almost like artificial controls right where you have control of the environment where you can set her up for success and build on those successes mm-hmm. you know so that that's a fantastic idea you can do something similar I guess that's the bottom line is that you need these tools. We needed these tools. Mm -hmm. These tools will really help. Mm -hmm. They impacted our kids so greatly that our kids now are emulating that in their own marriages, in their own families. Mm -hmm. So these tools work. They're impactful. But. Yeah, but they're just tools. Mm -hmm. You have to be on your knees. Mm I could tell you story after story after story, just like this, and even worse, Mm -hmm. a year and a half on our knees about one issue. A year and a half, every day, impact together before the breakthrough came. Story after story after story. When you were in the season with your teens, Mm -hmm. did you guys do anything else in life? How do you work? How do you like do ministry? How do you like, we're just obviously we're going too fast. Yeah. Incredible. Like you said, there's an investment, there's a cost. How did you kind of manage the rest of like having everybody eat and everything else and like doing ministry and stuff? Yeah. yeah. You guys are in the corrective stage right now. Yeah. And so the cost is higher um, okay. that you're paying. You know, it's, it's, it is more intense right now. It's not always going to be It like will not this. always feel like this. Every parent who goes through the corrective stage, whether their kids are two or 20, feel overwhelmed. Feel overwhelmed. Yeah. So what you're experiencing, I, sh- I should say, is normal, even though it's not, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um, <common. laughs> not normal. It's, it's not a lifestyle. Yeah. Right. But it will not stay this way. Yeah. You'll begin to see breakthrough in the girls' hearts and, and things that were 
knew six months ago or three months ago or three weeks ago will become part of your family's life. And so then it will be more of working to maintain and then working on new things that the Lord begins to highlight and it will feel different. So you're, you're in the crucible right now and that's why it feels, and it is, it is absolutely all consuming. I mean, when we have a parent come into a class who has a three-year-old and we teach them all these things, they go through three weeks of Oh my gosh, what happened to my family? You know, I'm spanking my kid every day and it's just so consuming. I can't it's go just out of the door. It's consuming at this age. It's just, it's a totally different thing. It's yeah. whenever you hit that corrective stage. So yeah, the parent of a toddler feels like their entire day, all day long is, is spankings and discipline yeah. and there's no, no time to do anything, anything else. else. So this will shift. Yeah, it will. I appreciate that. I guess I'm also even thinking like you're talking about the service side of things. And then obviously the intentionality of coming in in prayer mm-hmm. together. And so let's say once this gets corrected, I mean, there's, you're just still dealing with obviously life and with your kids at different yeah. stages. Mm-hmm. And then, then we do far less than a lot of other people, but we're just like on the clip. It's like, there's not much margin. Like I don't read, like yeah. I don't read, I don't watch TV. I yeah. don't do yeah. any of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah. so I'm just trying to think like, how did you guys really pull all this off. Or maybe it's far better. I think honestly, Jason, especially when your kids are teens, it is all consuming. It really is all consuming. It doesn't mean you can't do other things. You will do other things. What I'm trying to encourage you about is what you're experiencing right now is not just trying to shift the behavior of your kids. You're talking about changing the culture of your family. And, and you're feeling the earthquake. The ground is shaking under your feet because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm having the epiphany, the epiphany that we had when our kids were younger, but we had the same epiphany to where we realized everything has to change. change. It's not just how to teach my kid how to obey. It's like our entire family culture has to look differently if we want to end up over here. And we were willing at that point to pay the price and say, yeah, we want to end up here. So we'll do whatever it takes. Not only does that look countercultural, not only is it incredible intentionality, but there is an incredible amount of investment that takes place. And so, yeah, we we didn't do a lot of other stuff. Whatever we did, we did with our kids. You got to hang on to the victories. Otherwise, you're going to become totally overwhelmed and discouraged. Yeah. So tonight you came in saying, look, this was a rough day, but we had this really great victory together yeah. in our marriage. And so what I want to do is point you back to, you know, six months ago, you're sharing with us, you know, gosh, we got this child doing these activities and this child doing these activities. And we said, wait a minute, you got to pull way back on that. So that was kind of the first step of shifting your family dynamic. Mm-hmm. So as expensive as that may be, that's easier, right? To have everybody just having their own activities. Mm -hmm. How does that fit with your family values? Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what your family values are. You can't possibly justify having any number of kids with each of them doing three activities each, right? And I'm talking about extracurricular activities. This one's playing soccer, dance, and horse. This one's doing this, this, and that, right? You can't do that. And that's what the culture is telling you is normal. And so I just want to bring you back to that stage of, oh, wow, really? We got to pull out of that and just focus on a couple of things as a family. So your family is making a shift. It may not feel like progress right now because you're still in the crucible, but it's a total family paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. It's painful. Mm -hmm. 
when you start to see successes as often as you see difficult days, that's when you know that you're on the upside of that crucible, yeah. that you're on your way out. Right now, you're in the middle of And so you do have to really celebrate the victories. Yeah. So you're going to have to really encourage your hearts in those victories. And I, encourage I, each other. We're yeah. going to make it. Okay. You know, as, as couples, those times where you go through where you have to take each other's hands and say, we're going to make it. Yeah. All of you guys have been through situations like this, where the one who is feeling the most faith reaches out to the other and pulls them up and says, we're going to get through this. That's always him. He always does that for me. <laughs> we're going to get through this. So you, He literally has done that more times than I can count. No, you, you guys have done, you've done it on the mission field. You guys have, mm-hmm. look, you have to encourage each other mm-hmm. and speak words of life over each other and declare over your soul, as David did, and to each other, but God. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it through this Mm -hmm. by God's grace. Mm -hmm. This feels impossible right now, but Mm -hmm. he's going to get us through this. Mm -hmm. And you have to speak life over each other. Thank you, guys. Yeah, Yeah, I want to encourage the two of you. What you're doing is the narrow path. Yeah. And I'm telling you guys, it is so worth the cost because we we're not wanting to invest. Nobody ever does. Nobody wants to die to themselves. I mean, we're talking about radical death to self here, right? Nobody wants to do that kind of radical death to self. And yet we're talking about kingdom for the generations. This is where you're headed. This is what you're doing. You're, you're laying the foundation for generations to come. So as our, our culture literally crumbles around us, we are the shining beacon of the gospel. This is what family looks like. This is what we're supposed to be. This is who we're called to be. This is what we're inviting you into, transformation. The enemy does not want that. He will fight you tooth and nail. But the Lord is greater, and you will see the victory. You will. Thank you. If it costs you everything, so be it. You're swimming upstream the entire time. You're bathing your kids in prayer. Mm -hmm. And along the way, you're believing that your kids will actually be a light and pulling some of these other kids out Mm -hmm. of their despair Mm -hmm. and depression, letting them see a light. Mm -hmm. Was there like a practical side of you that went... Is this the right place to raise your kids? Yeah. Obviously, I mean, there's no perfect place, but... Yeah. Yeah. This is a huge question. What we used to say when we counseled people for years is, unless you are called to California, get out. <laughs> if you love them, get out. Yeah. Because it's too hard. Mm-hmm. It's too hard. There, there are other places where the culture is a little bit more accommodating, even if it's superficial. Mm-hmm. So, for example... The Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Nashville is the buckle of the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. So we had like-mindedness all around us, even though there was a lot of religiosity and a, mm-hmm. and a, and a spirit of religion. So it was a very difficult place spiritually, mm-hmm. and yet so different culturally that we could allow our youngest to go down the street to a non-believer's house and hang out in their house yeah. because they were so upright. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's a cultural thing. And it doesn't exist here mm-hmm. in Southern California. For the most part. For the most part. You, you don't want to do that. You don't want to send your kid to a non-believer's house when he's seven. Or even a believer's house. Mm-hmm. Most believer's homes, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was that shift in the way that we counseled people for a while. Mm-hmm. I think that may be a little bit harsh. 
I do believe that the Lord is actually calling believers to California mm-hmm. now because it's more of a mission field mm-hmm. than ever before. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's a tougher mission field than Uganda. Mm-hmm. In some ways, yeah. Right? In ways well, that hurt. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, obviously had its own challenges yeah. over there, but in a lot of ways coming back here and just dealing with the materialism and the superficialness and the yeah. things oh, that are being taught in school. Really I mean, nice. just fill in the blank. It's like... Plus both parents having to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Look, I have a pioneering spirit. And so my heart was always, we just, we're going to move to. So I had hand selected other English speaking nations Mm -hmm. where we could disappear to. (laughs) So, and my intention was, you know, we got four kids, we can buy a farm somewhere. We can just disappear. Mm -hmm. We just disappear because I have a responsibility to protect my kids. And that's what was in my heart. And the Lord never allowed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we try. I'm telling. I'm not talking about a dream, a fantasy. Mm-hmm. We tried. We tried. <laughs> we tried. You guys, a lot of you don't know our 9/11 story. I'll show that another time. We got stuck on the other side of the country trying to do this on 9/11. Yeah, with your whole family. No, no just Chris and no, I. No, we left the kids at home. Kids. We were separated from our kids on 9/11. Yeah. Oh, anyway, another story. But the bottom line is. The Lord never allowed it and made it clear time after time. That's not my will. That's not my will. That's not my will until we finally saw, oh, you mean we have to be with people all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what his kingdom looks like. The thing is, right? Like just isolate and protect. But like, yeah, that's not what we're called to do. That's not the kingdom. kingdom. Yeah, and it's sticky and messy, and that's what you guys are facing right now is the messiness of we're called to be salt and light. That's about others, Mm -hmm. not about our own brightness and tastiness, right? It's that's about others. That statement is about others, salt and light, and so yeah. Unless the Lord says, you know, hey, I want you to go have a farm over there and do that. You know, I do believe now differently. I do believe it's as kingdom-minded people. We need you here. California needs you. But get a handle on your home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, Jordan Peterson used to tell kids that wanted to change the world again politics, clean your room. Clean your room. Can you make your bed? And they're like, what does that have to do with anything? Do you have a messy room? Yeah. Well, then how can I trust you to fix our government? Mm-hmm. Right? It's the same thing in the church right now. Get your family in order. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I'll follow you as a leader in the kingdom. I would like to give a disclaimer about the resource sheet, though. We have no expectation that you guys are going to read all these books. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to give you a list of options. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the things that we have shared with you have been drawn from different books. Pick one out of all of them. You know, if you have one that's highlighted that you want to dive into, mm-hmm. but... It's a great sheet to pull books from to recommend to other people, too. Like, this sheet says you should read this. And some of these books, like, you know, I noted that some are are to read with your child. A lot of these books uh, that are reading with your child are more about creating a hunger for beauty, goodness, and truth in your child. So, like, the children's book of virtues, beautiful girlhood, creating a culture of read-alouds in your home. So this would be something for those of you who saw, you know, youngers to middles at home. Reading aloud is such a powerful tool. We did that all the way through high school. Yeah, to create a culture in your home of beauty, goodness, and truth. Family reading night. It was a highlight for our high school kids still. Yeah. 
Yeah, they loved it. The Read Aloud Family? Yeah, the Read Aloud Family, yeah. So there's some books on there that don't necessarily have to do with parenting per se, but they have to do more with the culture of your family that you're creating. And then the other thing is, if you have already got a handle on the ever-important idea of training the child's heart, if you embrace that, if you agree with it, if that's how you're moving in your parenting and you just need as many practical tools as possible, stick with the Gary Ezzo books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's very practical. There's something at every age range. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Thanks for staying so late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Miss you guys go. Go so to your kids. Thank you. Get a date night out of it. <laughs> <laughs>